Today is the second part in a series that we're doing on the foundations of our faith. And today I'm going to talk about, my title is God in the Spirit World. This is a difficult subject and I've, ne- I've never preached on it before and I've never actually heard anybody preach on it before. But as I'm going through, I believe that this is quite important today and I'll unpack that more as we come through. So I'm going to give you uh, just a, a, an overview of what we're going to talk about. We're going to have three things. The first of all is the different kinds of beings that are in existence, and then the pagan worldview and how we avoid it, and then evil and suffering is origin and destiny. So, like, no, it's, it's, it's just a minor topic I've decided to, to do today. You know, nothing big or complicated. So, and my goal then, if I can go through and tell you our goal, um, for the different kinds of being, I want us to know where we fit in. That's how I, my, this is my heart that we should do today. The pagan worldview and avoiding it, I want us to feel secure and empowered. And the last one, evil and suffering, origin and destiny, I want us to have hope for the future and a motivation for the present. So I'm just going to give you a very quick summary of what we did last week. Last week, I talked about God, what kind of God we have. And I divided it up into to how God is different to us and qualities we share with God. So how God is different, he is all-powerful, he's eternal, he knows everything, um, he is everywhere, that kind of thing. Qualities we share with him is he is a God who has emotions. He's relational, he is creative, he loves making beautiful things. Not only is he relational, but he actually wants to commit to attachments with us that are forever. And these are things that we share with him. And uh, then I ended by talking about our experience of God and particularly of two things that seem to be contradictory. And one of them is that God can be quite terrifying in his power. And we saw an example, a few examples from the Bible of how fearsome God's power is. And yet we saw men like Moses in God's presence and yet not afraid. Men like Daniel who are trembling at this power and then God says, don't be afraid, I love you. And so we saw that we tend to, in Christianity, minimize one or the other. We either minimize our our safety and we just see God as terrifying or we minimize God's awesomeness and God's just a friend of ours and we minimize that aspect. And actually... It's very, very important we keep both of those in tension, that God is a, a, an awesome and extraordinarily powerful being, and yet at the same time, we can be completely safe in his presence. And we saw a number of stories from the Old Testament, from the New, and from personal experience. So let's move on to today's topic. Uh, I want to talk about two different kinds of beings. And I'm dividing this up very simply. There's God, and then there's created beings. And this is, this is my summary for this point. Uh, 
in created beings, there are spirit beings like angels and demons, and there are beings with a body like humans. Those are the two kinds of beings there are. And notice that I've put us in the same category as angels and demons. And that is very important for today. That is going to be a key point for today. The big line, the big dividing line, is between what is God and what is not God. God, the uncreated one, and other beings that are created. And... uh I want to just give some uh, biblical background, biblical support for this worldview and this idea that we are in the same area as the created beings and angels and demons. So let's look at Psalm 8 to start with. Psalm 8, when I look up at the heavens which your fingers made and see the moon and the stars which you set in place. So he's looking at, at this extraordinarily powerful God Of what importance is the human race that you should notice them? Of what importance is mankind that you should pay attention to them and make them a little less than the heavenly beings? You grant mankind honor and majesty. So even though God is the God who can make the stars in the sky, yet he has paid attention to us. He's not saying, you know, we're nothing, so you shouldn't pay attention. He says, we must have an importance of what importance is the human race because you actually have paid attention to us. So we actually must be important. What importance is mankind? Well, it must be because you have paid attention to us, made us a little lower than the heavenly beings. Uh, you appointed them to rule over your creation. You've placed everything under their authority. So this is this quote from the Psalms. So saying mankind actually has got some importance in the overall scheme. Now what's really interesting is this verse is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. And Hebrews chapter 2 gives us a slightly different spin on it. What is man that you think of him or the son of man that you care for him? Then it says, you made him lower than the angels for a little while. You crowned him with glory and honor. And the author to the Hebrews has expanded on this a little lower and says, actually, it's not a little lower in category, but in time. That in fact, being lower than the angels is just a temporary thing. Interesting. You put all things under his control, he says. And then uh, in, in verse nine, he gives us the reason for this. The reason for this is because actually Jesus came a little lower than the angels when he came to earth, but as we are joined to him, we are raised up above the angels. He says, but we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. And he goes on to say that he's bringing many sons to glory with him. So if we look at this this world with God at the top and then angels and, and, and demons and us, we see, well, where are we in this? Hmm. It looks like we've, in fact, been lifted up by Jesus above the angels. Well, actually, there's many more verses to support this idea. 1 Corinthians 6.3, do you not know that we will judge angels? And that, of course, includes angels and demons. In Ephesians 1, and what is the, this is Paul's prayer, what is the incomparable greatness of his power towards us who believe? 
as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. This power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his, hev- at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So you get this. So Jesus was raised up and put in his high place, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Pretty comprehensive. Jesus is above every power. Uh, But then he says in the next chapter, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So quite clearly, these verses are teaching that we are raised up to a position which is lifted above these other beings. I want you to really get this. This is really crucial. In Jesus, we, although we don't become God, we are raised in power and authority above all of these other beings. We will judge angels. We are raised above these beings. Um, there, there are other verses I can show you which support this. James 4, 7. So submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil an opportunity. 2 Corinthians 2.11, we must be forgiving so that we may not be exploited by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So he's still dangerous. He still has can attack us, but we have a power and authority that is greater than his. So I want us to get, really get this idea firmly in because it's going to be crucial to what I'm going to be saying. One thing, though, we have to say, I've got at the top of that slide, follower of Jesus. What if we're not a follower of Jesus? Unfortunately, it's the other way around. We are at the mercy, in many cases, of these other beings, although I would say even then God limits their power. Even then, God doesn't allow Satan just to run amok and do all the evil that he can. So this is my first point. I'm talking about God and the spirit world, the different kinds of being in existence, and understanding where we fit in. What I'm now going to talk about is the pagan worldview and avoiding it. And then we're going to end by talking about evil and suffering. So the pagan worldview. So here we have five levels. Now, this can vary from one to another, but across the world, this is kind of pretty much most most pagan systems would have the same kind of thing. We have a god or gods at the top, and then we have a layer with the angels and demons, the spirit beings. And then very often we have ancestors um, who they're dead, but they still they've got power and they can cause implications on our lives. And then we have another layer, which is the spiritual people, the priests or shamans or gurus or witch doctors or whatever culture you're in, the people who've got special power in the spiritual world. And they've got special access to this. And then we've got ordinary people like you and I. And uh, in much of the world, including North America, this worldview has crept into Christianity. 
And I want to be very, uh, and this is a difficult subject to deal with today. And I have two problems I could fall into. One, I could fall into um, overemphasizing the power of evil spirits. And the other is underemphasizing the power of evil spirits. So I'm praying that God will give me a balance today because Satan would like me to go to one extreme or the other. But it's such an important thing that I can't shrink back from dealing with this subject. Um, and unfortunately, wrong thinking in this area has crept into Christianity and causing Christians to go into bondage, to be led astray, and to be, be ineffectual in their Christian lives. So, for example, if you have a problem in your life, blame a demon. So, if it's lust in your life, well, it must be a demon of lust. Well, the Bible tells us that actually this, we have the flesh, you know, we've got the old nature, and we need to repent and we need to be strong. Uh, but the idea of it being a demon of lust means it's actually you can blame someone else for it. You can blame this demon, and what you need is deliverance from this demon of lust. The Bible never tells us that. The Bible tells us that actually we need to be strong in the power of God, and that we have the spirit in us who can resist the temptation. And the temptation, we don't need Satan to tempt us. We have an old nature that will tempt us. We have a sinful nature that will tempt us quite easily without the power of Satan. There's, we don't need Satan in order to do wrong things, in order to sin. We can do it quite or okay by ourselves. But if we can blame some demonic power, then somehow it takes the responsibility from us. And so instead of resisting the sinful temptations, you need to go into somebody and get deliverance. And, of course, who do you go to? You go to somebody in this next level up, the priest or shaman or guru or witch doctor, somebody who's got this power to, to deliver you from the demons. And sometimes they'll take money from you, which, of course, is a very good a good source of, of, of income. Um, and that's, that's the worldview. So you pay some kind of priest to give you deliverance. As I was researching this sermon, a, a banner popped up on my my computer, you, I, I didn't believe this, but here it did, it popped up. Uh, order now, special offer includes prayers that rout demons and prayers that break curses, prayer journals plus four Holy Spirit devotionals. So you could buy this. You can actually buy this, these, these power prayers. And uh, um, the problem with this is, the problem with all of these schemes is they make us far away from God. Where is God in this? Prayers that rout demons. Where is God? Now, in this worldview, we're right at the bottom, and God is right at the top, and we're far away from him. And all of these things can block us from this. This isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we have a dear Heavenly Father. We can access him. We can come into his presence and bring our pleas directly to him. Um. Let's see how this would work in a human relationship. What if I was to say to married couples here, I can sell you some power sentences to say to your husband or say to your wife, which will get them to do anything you want them to do. I can sell you these power sentences. What does that, what do you think about that? How, what does that make you feel if you're the spouse? Well, I don't want to be manipulated like that. You know, I want a relationship, not somebody who's got some power words they can, they can give me. And the idea of, you know, I can sell you some power prayers. What does that say about a relationship with God? About an intimate relationship with a God who dearly loves and wants us to trust him? 
It's destructive to it. It's the wrong view. It's a view that says, you know, there's something blocking between us and God. We've got to punch through this layer and, and uh, we need some help to do that. Um, and, but I want to, I mean, I want to say that these, these people that are producing these pop-ups and these prayers, they're well-meaning. They, they, they want us to live successful Christian lives. They are well-meaning. I just think they're misled. And then as I was doing this, another pop-up came. Unlock the power of God for healing. Free resource. Uh, receive a hundred powerful healing scriptures to declare over yourself. Now, these people, they mean well. I mean, they want this, they want us to be, to be blessed. But the idea here is I'm concerned about two problems here. First of all, the idea that God's power is blocked, that it's locked. That God wants to bless you, you know, but he can't. He can't bless you because something's blocking it. Something's locked and you need to unlock God's blessing. There's only one thing that locks God's blessing, that blocks it, and that's our sin. That's the only thing. And that sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so our sin is the only thing that comes between us and God. And if we have sin, we're told very simply, we repent from the sin, we ask forgiveness, and our relationship is restored. Um, but not only does it give us this idea that there's something that's blocking, that somehow God's hands are tied, you know, he's handcuffed, he can't bless us, he's locked. It, it also gives us this idea that um, some, some sort of impersonal force and not a clear and loving father. And uh, I, I feel that it leads to a Christian life where we're looking for some formula rather than actually trying to develop a relationship with God. And uh, I want us to uh, come back to the verse I read right at the beginning of this sermon. And uh, uh, it's in Ephesians 1. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and for each one of you here. This is his prayer for you. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So in other words, you won't need to know what you have, like what, what, what it is that he's bought for you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. So he wants us to, to understand the power that we have. According to his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places. So get this. He's saying the power that raised Jesus from the dead and brought him up to glory is the same power that's available to us, that's working in us. And our problem is that we don't get it. Our problem in verse 18, our hearts are not enlightened. Our problem is that we don't really get what we have. He says he's been raised far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This is what you need to understand. The power that raised Jesus to that level is available to you, is working in you. And your problem is that you don't understand the power that you have. Um, so I want to sum this up by saying, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, you have direct access to God as good as any priest. You don't need anyone to come between you and God. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. You can come directly to him. You have nothing to fear from demons. That doesn't mean to say they're not dangerous. You have nothing to fear from them. Your destiny is to be seated with Christ, ruling the universe. And finally, you don't need some special words to unlock God's blessing. This is an insult to his relationship with you. So I want you to understand this is where you fit in to the world of beings. If you are a Christian, you are God's privileged, beloved child, and you have nothing to fear from the works of darkness. However, I want to be balanced in this, and I want to say evil beings have great power in this world. Uh, The Bible speaks of them ruling nations through wicked kings. In the in the ancient world, with the world with Israelites inhabited, very clearly God says that there are powers of darkness ruling these nations. Powers of darkness ruling them. And that is, you can think of, uh, for example, Pharaoh in Egypt when Israel escaped from Egypt. Very clearly, manifestation of power of darkness. Assyria, Babylon, these forces. Um, very, very clear that this is the case. Um, uh, and it's certainly what they're trying to do today. Uh, Satan is not less interested in power than he was then. Power attracts him. And power, b- both in... in um, uh, uh, in nations that are, uh, have some sort of pagan religion or nations that are atheist or nations that are materialist. It doesn't matter. Satan wants to have power in every nation and work his way. And I would say particularly he works through false religion, but then I could say, um, you could actually define materialism as a kind of false religion. Um, I would say demon possession is real. And it's a demon possession is uh, around today. And I would say, uh, I would like to culminate this list by saying that persecution and killing of Christians today is at an all time high in the world. Um, the, the, um, National Post, uh, surprisingly had a, a news article, uh, a few weeks ago after the Sri Lanka killing saying Christians are the most persecuted group in the world today and the West doesn't care. And they catalogued across the world the levels of persecution and levels of, of killing of Christians today. And we can look back on the ancient Rome. You know, they threw them, they, they, you know, they, they, they killed them with gladiators and so on and with, with wild animals. Yes, but you look at what's today, the scale is much larger. And this is what Satan wants to do. So uh, I think often we have too small a picture of what Satan is doing. You know, he's tempting me to some lustful thoughts. Well, that might be involved in there, but actually Satan really wants to do, he wants to wipe out Christianity from the world. That's what he really wants to do. So let's not diminish what Satan wants to do. In fact, what he really wants to do is to distract us from his purposes. So I want to... Uh, I've talked about God and the spirit world, different kinds of beings in existence and understanding where we fit in. The pagan worldview and avoiding it, we need to feel secure and we need to be empowered. 
And we're going to now talk about evil and suffering, its origin and destiny. And I want us to have hope for the future and motivation for the present. Well, this last point is going to be quite short because um, we really don't know very much. We're not told much in the Bible about where Satan's from and about evil and the origin. And so we shouldn't speculate uh, because we don't need to know. If we're not told, we don't need to know. And what we do know is that the devil was originally obedient, but rebelled in pride and led the fallen angels. And so this, and this is a suggestion, revelation, that it was a third of the angels. Um, when this happened, or where the evil came from, we're not told. So uh, some people say it was after creation, some before creation. We don't know. We're not told exactly when it was. There are arguments for both sides, and really doesn't matter. Um, uh, and we're not told where evil came from, because if evil, if Satan fell, he was originally not evil. Where did the evil come from? We're not told that. Um, we're told much more about God's plans to eradicate evil. This is the important thing, God's plan to eradicate evil totally. And so I want to say my focus in this is to say God's ultimate plan is to eradicate evil and suffering. His, his plan, his goal is to completely eradicate them. So we have, we have, when we see the beings that are in existence, the, the, the evil is gone. And so we, we have questions, difficult questions, like if God is all powerful, then how can evil and suffering exist? Uh, if God has got no limits to his power, and this is something we'll talk about in a, in a future sermon, but it's true, he's got no limits, how can evil exist? Can he ju- can't he just say, evil be gone, and it's gone? What's the problem there? Uh, and the answer is, we don't know. There is something about the way that evil exists, that God, the way God is going about this evil is the appropriate way to deal with it. There's something about it. The real question is, does God care? And yes, he does, because he has a plan to get rid of it. And what we see around us is part of this process. So the process of getting rid of evil and... Um, we we see a world that's in rebellion, so it's actually uh, it's actually humanity that's that's caused a lot of the suffering that we've seen. Um, but God's plan is to make, to remake the the entire universe without pain or suffering. And so that and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to say the last question people has is why the delay. Well, why does not God just do it now? If this is his plan, why the delay? And I can't give you an answer to that, but I can give you a suggestion. There's a hint in some of the parables that hints to us why there's a delay. And the 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 hint would be that we have a parable where there's a, a man, a farmer, plants a field with with, with wheat and then an enemy comes and plants it with a weed. And do you remember what Jesus says uh, about this? The, you can't distinguish them to start with. They're growth growing up. You can't distinguish them. So it's only when they bring forth the fruit they can be distinguished. And then he talks about the last judgment when there will be a distinction between good and evil. 
And so it seems to me the only hint that we get is somehow to utterly destroy evil, you have to let it fully show itself. You have to let it get to a point where it shows its fruit, and then when it's there, it's in clear evidence, then you can get rid of it. So something God is doing at the present time, if this idea is right, is allowing a process where we get more clarity about what is evil and what is not, so that when he comes to the point where he utterly eradicates evil, there's a clarity about that. Now, I don't understand how that fits in with God's power and God's knowledge and all that. I'm just giving you what seems to be an idea from the parable. And it seems to have to make some sense to me as to why there's delay. But there's one more thing that we need to say about this, and that the cost to God in eradicating evil is immense. It's immense because his own, his own son died that ext- extreme death in order to take this process. And so whether we say, you know, God, you do it faster, or, you know, God, why haven't you done this yet? We have to realize that God is very serious about this. The cost is huge. And our response, I believe, is that we trust him. We say, you've shown me evidence, God, that you care about evil. You care about all these beings. And you care about suffering. And I'm going to trust, because I see that you care, that you will bring this plan ultimately to fruition. So, um, uh, so our response then in this plan to eradicate evil and suffering, uh, I believe it is to believe and to trust, um, but also we are part of the plan to defeat evil and suffering. We are actually the front line soldiers in this battle. Our main weapon in fighting evil and suffering, this may surprise you, But it's the weapon that Jesus used on the cross. The main weapon is love. That is the main weapon to fight evil and suffering. Love even for our enemies. It was, um, it was unforgiveness that Paul said was a foothold for the devil. He said, watch out for the devil. Uh, Don't have unforgiveness because it will give him a foothold. And the, the weapon we use, the primary weapon, is love. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, the first martyr in the early church, as he was dying, as he was being stoned to death, he said, Father, forgive them. That is the ultimate weapon. But we cannot do this on our own strength. We need to be connected with the source of love in order to destroy evil. We don't have it in ourselves, but as we're connected to Jesus, his love has the power to do this. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now, and I'm going to to close to try and pull these things together. Different kinds of beings in existence, the pagan worldview, evil and suffering, its origin and destiny. I want to pull these things together. How are we going to, have a mindset against the spirit world or about concerning the spirit world. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screw Tape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. That They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. 
So we want to avoid two extremes, just ignoring them or paying them too much attention and allowing too much power. And what I'd like to do is to close by reading 1 John chapter 4, verses 3, verses 3 from 3 through to 11, and talk about our response to this warfare against suffering against the demons. Um, <clears throat> this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world today. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is our starting point. Uh, we have overcome them. It's not that you've got to. You, know, you, you have. It's been done in Christ. But then he goes on to say, in the same breath, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is where Satan wants to play his biggest tricks on us. Because the, the biggest way he attacks Christians or attacks all of us is through lack of love through disunity, through fighting one another. I, I heard one story of a church. It was a new church. Um, and as the church was growing, everything was going well. And then the leaders started having some problems with one another and they were fighting and all sorts of problems. And eventually they decided to get together and pray about it. And suddenly they realized, what were we really fighting about? We were just misunderstanding. We don't actually disagree with one another at all. Actually, Satan is causing confusion amongst us. That is what he wants to do. Let me tell you, it's when you, it's Satan isn't giving you the lustful thoughts. Um, that's coming from your flesh, but Satan is causing, is latching on to confusion amongst Christians that causes disunity, causes lacking love, uh, because that is his main attack on us. It's preventing us having love. And our weapon is from God because we can overcome that. We have, we've been, if we've been born of God, we know God and we don't have, have anything to fear in that regard. So I want to say, if you do not have God as your father, then you are an extreme danger. Don't stop seeking him until you know you found him. Don't stop seeking him until you know he found him because he can provide you the only security against these powerful forces. So I want to close then by reading the last couple of verses in the selection. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us and love is perfected in us. If God is abiding in you, what can Satan do to you? This is the answer that we have. The power of God through his spirit, uh, Jesus Christ alive in us, loving with his love that defeated all the powers of darkness. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that even though this world is full of evil power 
and it hates you so much. Yet we have the victory in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with that love for one another, that this will dispel the darkness. We pray, Lord, you'll keep us in our lives by being tempted by the evil one who wants to deceive us, wants to give lies to us, wants to, to trick us and take our eyes off the, off the, 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 the focus we need to have them on. Lord, we pray you'll keep us safe from him and you'll fill us with your power, your presence and your love in Jesus' name. Amen.